0: welcome to behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno
1: with ghosts UFOs and even Bigfoot is the government secretly researching the area are there mass behavioral experiments going on there
2: greetings and welcome to the 597th edition of behind the paranormal with the Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those vexing questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening we bring you an update on one of the most interesting and amazing cases we have ever tackled. And uh, with us in the studio this evening are, well, one of two distinguished guests, because one is on the phone, so he is sort of here, and then one is actually physically in the studio with us, that would be Shane Searway, and on the phone we have... Uh, Bill Hall as well. So the numbers to call, 800-449-1240, and uh, that's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, and 401-766-1240, that is locally. And also we will monitor emails. That's paul at for emails.
1: William J. Hall is author of the best-selling The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street, published in August 2014 by New Page Books. Bill has been a professional magician and initially set out to prove that the events in Bridgeport were baloney, but his investigation made him believe otherwise. I believed otherwise, too, because I was there during the case. In June in June, 20, 1914, in June 2014, <laughs> Ben and I brought him and astronomer Mark D'Antonio in on the ever-expanding Litchfield County, Connecticut case uh, Ben and I had been working on since 2005. Tongue-in-cheek, I suggested that Bill write a book about that case, and before I knew it, he actually did it. The Haunted House Diaries and New Page Books will release this in just a few weeks. Shane Searway is one of the few credible independent paranormal investigators out there and one of the few with whom Ben and I will work. Shane and I have consulted on cases for going on 18 years as the crow flies and I first met him during the case right here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And Shane joined the Connecticut investigation recently himself and has gathered some invaluable audio and video evidence in the 18th century farmhouse that is one of the centers of this paranormal flap. Shane is a feet on the ground, no nonsense investigator. That's because he is from the great state of New Hampshire, where common sense and clear thinking always prevail. We now consider both these characters valuable teammates and dear friends.
2: Yes, do not tread on my common sense. So, Bill and Shane, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal here on WOON 1240.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Well, that's well, you know, whatever. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: Okie
2: dokie. So, Bill, why don't you start us off with the background on this case?
0: Well, uh, thanks to Paul, uh, after uh, hearing me say that I wanted to in on one of these investigations and finally proven that I was uh, hopefully a little bit better than a mere curiosity seeker, Um, I was very excited that he suggested that I visit... uh, uh, this house with the family's permission. And that's how it all started. And, um, and I asked Paul, Hey, do you want to write about it? I'll never get to it. I said, well, then I'll write about it. You know, so, uh, faster I'm than very, a horse
1: racehorse out of the gate with his <laughs> tail on fire. I'll tell you.
0: <laughs> well, I'm very thankful to Paul for, uh, involving me in this case and, uh, and opening it up, uh, be written about I, you know it's been a great experience because lonely street was lonely street's great experience was written from a, a purely you know investigation obviously happened in the 1970s it wasn't something i was able to actually you know be there with um, w- what was exciting about this case is it's active and uh, you know forever going on it seems so
1: yeah
0: uh, it was nice to be part of uh, something that was uh, active and uh, in progress and so diverse, I think if you were going to have your, you know, your first quote unquote official case be something um, to kind of teach about what's out there, uh, this house would be the one because it, it had just so many, the variety is just incredible.
1: Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. And so, well, we, Ben Ben and I started there in '05. It was one of Ben's first cases. He was 13 years old, and his mom and I had just decided that maybe he could get in on this finally because he'd had a lifelong interest and listened to about uh, 500 of my lectures while selling books in the back of the room with his brother, various uh, venues here and there in the East Coast. And uh, we were amazed by the owner's tales of what had happened for the past 60, at the time, 62 years since she had lived there, and there had been, a, I believe, six generations of her family in this 1793 farmhouse. But as we always do, we kind of looked beyond the house to the land, to other houses, and to whatever else we could have access to in that vicinity, which is in, as I say, Litchfield County, Connecticut. And then, by 09, uh UFOs started showing up. And we, we had found that other houses in the area, that people were, certain things were going on. Uh, there's, there was one fellow who, was, but I saw him recently when I was there, a Vietnam veteran, a big fellow who, you know, been in the service, and, you know, not the sort of fellow to scare easily. And um, he would not stay in his house by himself. His wife um, would, had to be with him or something, because of the strange things that would happen there. And this goes on and on and on in an area of uh, between 5 and 10 square miles, which which Ben and I perhaps arbitrarily identified as a triangle. So that's kind of where we were, and then we'll get into later on the the strange farmhouse where the possible research is going on, military presence, UFOs by 09, and this sort of thing. So in the meantime, uh, Shane came in on the case as well uh, last year and has gathered some amazing evidence. What do you think about this this case, Shane, and what evidence have you gathered?
3: Uh, we, we got a couple pictures um, and the, the photographs are stimulated, Well, the, the camera was stimulated by movement. Um, and both both photos you know can't be explained away. They're, they're very odd. Um, and with the audio that we got, we do have you know a name that comes up that um, which was Harry. We get Harry, Harry, Harry constantly in, in a lot of these recordings. And um when we found out later on, um, after we we, we showed them to or, or let the homeowners listen to it, Harold Wilcox was, had a hand in building the home, and he even lived there at one point so um, but we kept- and, and he
0: even said his last name. Remember Shane, I asked him you know what is your last name? because I knew I knew the Wilcox you know William Wilcox uh, was one of the people you know they bought the land and uh, the last name even said was
3: holtops
0: which yeah. was bizarre
3: absolutely yeah i i do remember that and um so you know it, it was really cool i was thinking about this on the way over um down to the station was Every single recording I have, and every everything that we got, and we do got a lot of audio. A lot of it you can't make out, um, but it all starts off with, and this ties into kind of like you know what we talk about these intersects and things, um, you know, these other things that are unlike people just talk about ghosts and stuff like that. But we're talking about something else. We're talking about the the intersects. We're talking, you know, could be frequency based, could be all kinds of things happening. Um, But before these these audio recordings um, occur, you get a lot of um, just, you know, white noise, uh, not much happening and then all of a sudden it just blasts. It it amplifies and you get all kinds of frequency distortions and noises and it'll, like, I listen to it with my headphones on and it blows my ears off. I have to turn it down and after a few seconds of that, the voices start coming in more and more. And it, it always starts with just all of a sudden this amplification that just happens naturally and it, there's no reason for it. It's nothing to do with my equipment.
1: This is new, uh, fellas, but uh, I've been noticing, and, and I need to have somebody who knows more about math look at this, but I've been listening to a lot of the white noise in some of these EVPs lately. that have come from various listeners or different places, and there seem to be mathematical patterns in the white noise now I need. Now Ben is the sound expert. I haven't even told him about this yet because I, I was doing some of this today, and uh, I, I want to look into this further to see if there's more to these EVPs than just what appear to be voices or what are or very obviously in some cases voices. And one uh, what, what of the questions that I always thought of, and we and Bill, you and Shane and I and Ben have talked about this many times, is uh, voices from who or what? You know, uh, we always will. We'll, be skeptical about maybe whatever something is claiming to be or, or whatever the source may be of this. Uh, supposedly, it's an AM frequency that these come over on. But um, where would the voices come from? When you have, if, you're spo- if something is supposed to be a spirit, it wouldn't have any vocal cords. What creates the vibration to make the voices?
3: And that's why I think it's frequency-based. That's a why we it. look
1: at, at time... Yep. and frequency-based, as you say, yep. and that sort of thing. So we're, we're kind of looking at it from an entirely new direction. And our, our listeners are used to that. If they put up with us, then they'd probably know all about our multiverse theories <laughs> as right, right. well. Right, <laughs> right. You know,
3: and,
0: and, and Shane and I, when we did that that night, um, we asked repeatedly just to make sure you know, we weren't hearing things, to make sure that it wasn't something uh, that was just a sound. and And it was incredibly clear and it only answered after we asked and and we asked multiple times and we, yeah,
3: to, to it. we were scanning frequencies. It wasn't just an EVP that ended mm. up on a recorder. We we actually had a device that was um, listening to frequencies, multiple um, frequencies, uh, different than the ones you see on TV, but a little bit similar. Um, just one that I, ha- I have more credibility, I think has more credibility. And, so and, you were um, scanning
2: through different bands? Is that?
3: Yes, yeah. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, and. and we're talking, you know, it could scan four or five different bands per second, you know, or actually it could do more than that. And so when you have a, a sentence or a response that lasts, you know, four or five seconds and it's multiple syllables, it's, you know, and it makes sense to where you are. Like, like, like Bill said, it, it said Wilcox. Um, and Very clear. Yes. Yeah. Un-
0: unfortunately, we weren't recording because we were so busy doing what we were doing it we really didn't expect to get that kind of a you know, response.
1: But well, you know, know, it's but interesting for me because uh, Ben and I are Wilcox descendants, and we found out about halfway, about five years into this case, that the owner of the house and, and, and uh, we are distant cousins, not very close, but nevertheless, the uh, Randall family connection, which is. The Randall family connection seems to have followed me throughout my <laughs> paranormal <laughs> career, so to speak. It's, it's really strange. So the question is, okay, well, how did Mr. Wilcox hear you? Is he the spirit of a dead person, which I highly doubt? Uh, we could be wrong about this, but I think we're dealing with time. And in many of these universes, as we call them, there are people who are going about their days, but they're perfectly aware of us, too. Perfectly No, I, I, I've, I've talked to people from worlds like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, so, so, Bill, how did you go about researching this, this book Because I know it's based on a diary, but tell us the process.
0: Well, um, I decided at the beginning that I really had to narrow it down to things that I was confident about. So there's a lot of things that go on in that area that I believe have some merit. Uh, but they're hard to trace down. Like Oak Avenue in Torrington is one of them. It's an urban legend for many, many years. You see a little spirit of a little boy. And and actually, even my cousins, I was over there for Thanksgiving last year, and they said, oh, yeah, they know people who have seen him. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I decided to really narrow it down to things uh, that were outside of the the regular kind of Yankee peddler in, you know, the things that have appeared in books before that were urban legends uh, that I knew I really wasn't going to be able to narrow down to that level. So what I did was, uh, to begin with, I interviewed the, uh, the, the family. And I saw these diaries. I said, this is a great start. I said, but this is one viewpoint. We need to look at all the viewpoints. So I interviewed everybody and said, okay, well, now we have, you know, the daughter, Michelle, who's grown up. You know, and what does she have to say about, you know, what Donna said in her diary? You know, what does she have to add? What was her viewpoint? And so I interviewed the family and then... Uh,
1: well, let, let, let me just interrupt you there, Bill, because sure. we have, Donna has has called in, the homeowner, and uh, we'll join our conversation. Now, Donna, how are you this evening?
4: Hi, good. How's everybody?
1: Pretty fair. Welcome back to One Twelve Forty 1240 and
4: Behind oh, the Paranormal. Myself. hi, Donna. Hi, Donna. <laughs> hi. Okay. How's everybody?
1: So we'll w we'll let Bill continue his monologue and you can tell us whether he's uh, full of baloney or making it all up or, or if he's right. <laughs> no, I, I would
0: never be full of baloney to give up Donna's friendship. Well I know you don't eat baloney. Well so. it would be ridiculous. It was okay. simply a stupid thing to do. Uh, but you know, so I so I interviewed, you know, members of the family got their viewpoints and I thought it would be neat to uh, you know, expand the diary or have comments in there. And some I left, completely alone, especially I thought the teenage years were, you know, very important to capture that voice and, you know, the way Donna said it at that time, Uh, you know, being from the 1960s. I thought that was important. Uh, And in other times, it was interesting to add in other details from other family members or other viewpoints. Uh, Like I said, Michelle now being grown up can say, oh, yeah, I remember that, and here's you know, here's what I experienced. And, you know, because Donna, of course, couldn't see everything because she's one person. So it was very interesting to get those various viewpoints and then build them, uh, you know, into the diary. And, you know, the diary literally spans uh, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even 2000s. And I was literally sending the publisher new entries right till it went to print because, you know, it's still ongoing. And, yeah. And, uh, you and so that was uh, that was kind of part one. I divided it into three parts. And the second part was about phenomena and the flap, which uh, uh, Mark Dantonio graciously shared uh, some very private things that happened to him and missing time, and uh, and also uh, Donna Michelle's uh, uh, Bigfoot sighting, which was fascinating because they didn't really they didn't know it was Bigfoot. Didn't describe as Bigfoot. They thought it was just another paranormal thing that happened. And later on, of course, when comparing it to literature, it certainly um, was consistent with the Bigfoot sighting. So that that was fascinating just for it to evolve that way. And uh, then also some other occurrences like uh, some uh, a phantom uh, emergency roadblock that happened uh, in the area. And then other haunted houses. Uh, by interview nearby, as you said Paul, it's you know fascinating that so many of the houses around there have phenomenon probably far more than uh, you know the people will be willing to tell us you know beyond the houses I interviewed. but yeah. uh, and then part cookie which is my you yeah. well, one of my favorite parts, is the security investigation uh, and the discussion because that uh, you know and I asked you, Paul and Shane, uh, to analyze the different things and tell me your opinions on them, and uh, then I brought readers to the investigation and um, Mark Dantonio's kind of uh, theory of why he thinks uh, the multiverse is uh, a probable explanation versus uh, perhaps the spirits of the dead, and um, and I shared some of. Uh, what I know by doing Magic, you know, with, you know, what I've learned, you know, what Magic has taught me about interpreting the paranormal, you know, how the same thing uh, that I do could be presented as many different things simply by changing the context in which I present it. So, and then I went through some paranormal assumptions. You know, I think we make a lot of assumptions about the paranormal. Mm. Um you know, which is natural for us. We see things within the context of our beliefs, within how how we particularly see it at the time. And uh, I think everybody, including myself, you know, we need to keep an open mind as to how we interpret this stuff because we could assume certain things. Like I use, you know, the classic example of, you know, possession is saying we just naturally assume it's one thing invading another. We never think that perhaps. The thing wants to get out as much as we want it out. I'm not saying that's what it is, or you know what it's about, but I'm saying it's another viewpoint that we really don't consider because we think of things kind of from our own kind of selfish, naturally selfish viewpoint. So that's how I, I uh, you know, organize it to try to get across uh, the story as best possible. With, of course, the diary being, uh, you know, a very big part of it. But, some of the things that happen in this diary, people say, well, you know, we've heard about this uh, a lot in haunted houses. But, you know, as you read out, people will find uh, that it's just incredible, the variety and the depth of phenomena that uh, this family has uh, been through. And, of course, you know, as they tell people, well, you know, they didn't move out because, well, I mean, Donna was born and brought back to the house. So to her, the paranormal was the normal, and uh, I'm sure she had a lot different. Uh, different take on it than if, you know, Bill Hall moved in there, you know, at my age now and started experiencing that stuff. Maybe I would be. But, of course, having uh, you and Shane is, and Ben as uh, mentors here, I'm a little bit better prepared. But I mean, uh, hmm. um, so that's kind of how I organized it.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to jo- well, give Shane a chance to comment, But first of all, Donna, uh, why don't you update? Because this is an ongoing case, as Bill mentioned. Why don't you update us on the very latest uh, hijinks and uh, happenings at uh, your place?
4: (laughs) Well, I I had labeled the last entry, I guess, if you want to continue on with this until eternity. Um, I had labeled it as the Kitchen Follies uh, because I have been repeatedly yelling at my husband to close the drawers, close the doors. I would go in occasionally and find out the, the... vanity door over the sink and the bathroom was open and i'd come back in and say, close the door close the door well the other oh it was about a week ago um i had come in the kitchen to put the dog out and everything was fine i checked all the windows and doors and everything just normally and i took my tablet and i went to sit down and i got back up to go in the kitchen and and there were three cupboard doors open and he was already in bed by like an hour and a half so I just kind of looked at it, and my first thought was, you know, not paranormal, it was, well, now I'm going to get it because I've been yelling at him, you know, and he didn't do it. So I closed them all, and I did what I had to do, and I went back in, and when I came back out in the kitchen again to put my tablet away, there were more kitchen cabinets open and one of the drawers was open by the back door. So I just closed them all and kind of looked around and gave it another thought, you know, but this, this... went on particularly that one evening where the doors just kept opening i didn't see them open turned the light off left the room came back in the doors were open my doors all closed tightly my drawers don't slide out you know they're not gravitational but you know it didn't it it just kind of amused me at that point it's like well okay we're playing games here you know we're just going to have another little episode and you know things will straighten out which they did
1: well, that's interesting. You know, th- this whole business, I wanted to ask you, Shane, about the, the cabinets opening, closing, drawers opening, closing. That we, where I ran into, this was long before Ben was involved, uh, starting in 1998 in a case in Burlville, Rhode Island that we're still monitoring. And uh, one of the things that happened in, in a, a, it was a duplex, and in the apartment, the in-laws of the family on the other side. Thought it was rather interesting that the cabinets that'll be opening and closing on some occasions. Do you run into that a lot? That sort of um, cabinets opening and closing and drawers, things like that, in kitchens where there's water and electricity and that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, I do actually um, quite a bit, and you know, I think a lot of times too, like we talk about, it could be you know, with with the multiverse, it could be someone doing their thing in their own time and kind of like. Uh, that type of thing, but I I have run into it where I do believe that certain situations like that are an attempt to get our attention... Um, to get us to focus on them, give them the attention they need so, you know, they they jump into our internal dialogue. So we kind of feed them um, what they need to stick around. Some of these, you know, parasites that we talk about in in those cases, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes in in cases such as this one, you know, these things just happen, um, and it may not be for attention, or or it may be because, as we know, when we we have situations like this, these parasites seem to be able to jump in a lot easier. But where we have such a loving family here, we don't have to be concerned with that. Uh,
1: we've never run into anything really negative yeah,
4: yeah.
3: absolutely and
1: just because I have, of a, I have a
3: 19 year old i've never run into stores being closed so I'm yeah out
0: there.
3: yeah so uh, but i was but at her her kitchen if if you guys recall uh the night I we i spent the night the first night i, th- I think it was the first night i spent over spent over with um bill and in uh bill's fr- uh, photographer friend ray um, we're all laying, and everyone start, you know, fell asleep. I stayed awake, and I heard the girl talking at, at the foot of my my bed, which was toward towards the dining room um, door, which was closed. And very clearly, I heard like a coin or a large ring being dropped at at my foot, like right next to me, in the same room, uh, which I never found. But then later on, I heard like it sounded like to me turkey roaster pans being. Dropped and kicked around the, the kitchen all night long. Um, well, actually, not all, all night long, but it, it lasted quite a while, and I was surprised that like, nobody woke up. It was pretty loud. And,
0: and He's gonna forever throw this in my face, but I slept like a baby. <laughs> <whole>
3: But, yeah, I mean, and, and she did have tur- turkey roaster pans in, in the kitchen on top of the cabin, which I didn't know about, and they, they were kind of crushed in, but this sound like, they, the the ones I heard, sounded like they were taking a tremendous beating. So yeah. her kitchen is active, very active. Now,
1: tell us about the meatball incident, Donna.
4: The You mean the spaghetti on the plate? Yeah,
1: the spaghetti incident, yeah.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, I served in our dining room here, which is next to the kitchen. I had... Um, my kids were here, and we were going to have spaghetti and meatballs, and um, I served everyone, and it, by the time I got it to the table, it wasn't that warm, and I fixed their plates and put it on, and I was the last one, and I put the spaghetti, and I put the little bit of sauce and the meatball on, and walked away, and we just heard this massive explosion, and the plate just literally blew out from underneath. The, <laughs> it was just so weird. just completely blew out from underneath the spaghetti, and it just blew it everywhere, and... There was The shards, the shards in the plate were so small that they were, like, uh, smaller than toothpicks. It just li- literally exploded. And it's just like the spaghetti just, lift, you know, just landed on the table with no plate underneath it. Mm-hmm. And, and nothing was disturbed. And everybody just, like, you know, just drew back. They thought they were going to get, you know, get some. Didn't hit anybody. But it just, the way it just exploded, and, I mean, it made a noise, you know. And I checked right away, you know, is, you know was it too hot? Was it... You- you know, my daughter picked, no, it wasn't that hot underneath it. You know, I don't understand what that could have been, but that was, that. yeah, that was the exploding spaghetti incident. <laughs> we just named them as they come along. We just named the incident. That's know. right.
1: And and as uh, as time went on, of course, we found that there was activity in many other houses in the area, and uh, then we started getting into the military activity in '09, and uh, finally tracing back to this alleged farm and uh, we'll get into that, I think, after our break, uh, because it's it's a long story. But in the meantime, um, you've there have been sightings, uh, Donna, of uh, ver- these very tall figures from time to time, and we think we know them. But w- why don't you tell us about one or two of those?
4: Well, I had um, I was sitting on my porch one day, and it was I'm not exactly sure. I, it, I know it's in the journal, but. Um, I, I could look across the street at that time, and the leaves were kind of gone. And there was a stand of trees that used to be along the wall where my grandfather's farm was. And I was just kind of looking over there, and I saw a procession. of They looked like they had kind of had hoods on, like they were reverent, kind of. They were kind of bent over at the shoulders, and they were just very quietly gliding along behind each other. And I watched them. They come from the right to the left, and they moved among the trees and when they got to the last tree the first one didn't come out from the other side and then the second one went behind it and they didn't come out and the third and you know you just you just look at it and you go well, i i have no idea you know but i mean you see these things and you experience these things and it, it, you just i'm fascinated by it and, and as long as i haven't been threatened by anything but um yeah it was just weird they just they just went along and then another time under the wall down here um I saw somebody walking, gliding along in the same manner, and I ran over to the wall. I thought someone had come onto the property, and there was nobody there, you know. So, um, well, and we, time- we,
1: we believe these, are, we refer to these as, if that's what these are, as the clerics, and they seem to be very protective, and they're multiversal neighbors, and there's a lot of awareness that's along. We could do a whole show on them. But in any case, it's time for our break. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back with our fascinating panel.
0: O-N Radio, O-N
2: Worldwide.
0: Hi, this is Romeo Berthia. I'm inviting you to join me every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 for the Saturday show. This all-request program includes music, news, sports, weather, and all sorts of community announcements. And what a great way to start your weekend.
1: Join me this Saturday morning. Radio, Owen Worldwide. And we certainly want to point out some of the charities Ben and I have adopted on our show. And we're very careful about these. We check them out. Uh, very carefully to make sure that the money you give really goes to the charity, and uh, at least most of it, and not to their administration or to their uh, higher-ups, that sort of thing. So we certainly recommend org, doing wonderful things financially for America's veterans uh, who really need it. Also, a youth mentoring connection in Los Angeles. Uh, Tony LeRae out there doing great things for at-risk youth using indigenous wisdom, and uh, nothing strange or occult about it. They just do great things using common sense stuff from our ancestors. Uh, Certainly, uh, locally here in Rhode Island, uh, you'd want to check out buildershelpingheroes.org. That's the Rhode Island Builders Association, donating construction and remodeling activities and uh, help to veterans and their families, families of veterans who have been killed in combat and uh, the families of wounded veterans as well and uh, certainly Canadian veterans advocacy for our Cousins to the North and uh, Bill Mike Blaze up there in Ontario doing great things uh, legislatively and um, uh, legally for the Canada's veterans as well who have stood by us in the war on terror over all these years. So check all those things out. All right, So so let's get back to our panel here. We have Bill Hall, uh, William J. Hall, formerly uh, the author of uh, the best-selling book The World's Most Haunted House also the author of the forthcoming book next month, and that will be the Haunted House Diaries about the case Ben and I are always talking about on this show in Central Connecticut that is ongoing and apparently a very significant paranormal flap. We have Shane Searway, who is a very dear friend who has help us, helped uh, Bill and uh, us and everybody else who's working on this case. There aren't that many, but um, is, he contributes something I think very unique, a very, uh, very feet-on-the-ground kind of point of view and also uh, some equipment That Ben and I don't have, that can pick up a lot of stuff that that is is helpful as far as evidence is concerned, and also we have on the phone line with us uh, Donna Philly, who is the owner of the house. Uh, You may know she's been with us for many years, really on the show, just known as Donna. But uh, now, thanks to this book, her cover was completely blown, so we're not going to just refer to her <laughs> as Donna anymore. And she is, has been a long-time reporter for our show. Uh, the show has reporters all over the world, and, uh, or most parts of the world, and uh, we're very happy to have Donna with us as well. So let's get back uh, to the broader picture behind this case, which we think is most interesting. And Donna can perhaps fill us in. Uh, when people started seeing UFOs, I know when the town of Goshen and Torrington people were getting out of their cars in 09, and ten, uh, looking at the strange lights, Ben and I uh, saw strange lights there in 2010. And um, so, take it from there, Donna.
4: Um, there's always been a lot of reports of UFOs um, in the area, um, but a lot of people just won't talk about it unless it comes up in a specific conversation. Somebody, you know, brings it up and people will start experience, you know, telling them about their experiences. Um, yeah, that, that's I a had... pattern we find. Yeah, I, I had a, a woman who was a vice president of a company that I used to work for, work for, and we became friends. And she confided in me one day that she had pulled over in Harlington, Connecticut, and she had watched something. And she says, "I, for once in my life, I was speechless because I had no idea what it was." And um, I myself reported one a long time before—I don't even know how many years ago—but my, I think it was—it was—it was the same night that we saw that thing on the side of the road, and and uh, Bill had researched it. Um, it was a huge rectangle, flat black. Um, we approached it from behind. The road curved. My daughter and I had gone out for coffee, and we took a ride. And um, that we came up behind it, and it looked like almost like lights coming into a V. And we, our minds couldn't grasp what we were seeing because we thought they were ultralights or pla- And we couldn't figure out that time of night. Um, the road turned again, and it turned, and it was now on our left. And we saw that it was this big and it was blacker than the sky. I mean, it just blocked everything out. And again, the road turned, and we slowed down, and, and no sound or anything. And um, I waited a few days after that, and I did report it to MUFON. The first time in my life I would ever do anything like that. And shortly after that, someone um, reported from Springfield, Massachusetts. They confirmed what I saw. They said right after that they had seen and reported the same thing.
1: Yeah, north, northeast of your location, yeah. Right, right. Let me point out, first of all, we mentioned the the august name of Mark uh, D'Antonio. Mark is uh, is also a dear friend who has been helping on this case. He is uh, the Mutual UFO Network's National Director of Audio and Video Analysis, and he's been invaluable. And uh, we're planning to do some further uh, research up there uh, in the general location uh, once Mark has fully recovered from a recent illness. Now, one may ask, what do the ghosts, or whatever they are, uh, and the, b- the bizarre phenomena occurring at Donna's farmhouse, have to do with UFOs? Well, that's where a broader perspective on the paranormal comes in. Long ago, Ben and I realized that if, if this idea of multiversal intersects, in other words, parallel worlds, which physics postulates, and really has pretty much proven exist in one form or another, uh, all coming together in intersects, as we say, in a certain location, will produce things that we consider paranormal because they go outside our normal experience of our day-to-day lives in one world, right? But the um, evidence that we seem to see has uh, certain areas, such as this vicinity in Litchfield County, Connecticut, where these worlds interact in a very active way. Uh, Energies are, are exchanged. Inhabitants can experience one another. Some are aware. Some are not. And we sort of stand there, and all these weird things happen. It's because there are a number of worlds blending, and many of these worlds seem to have different laws of physics. Again, that's what some physicists believe. So, when you have the conditions that allow the uh, spaghetti incident, or the pans banging around in, in Donna's kitchen, that Shane heard, or the chain heard, or the apparition that Shane saw, the figure, you can the same conditions would permit entry and exit by whatever is running the UFO scene, right? Theoretically, anyway. And that's why we feel that the military showed up about '09. And Donnie, you want to start telling us about that?
4: Uh, well, we had a lot of people reporting, um, just in general, in the comment section in the newspaper, um, that they were seeing a lot of military gear heading up that way. And around the same time, we started noticing a lot of aircraft, a lot of helicopters... Um, A lot of helicopters And they were I'm not I don't know anything About aircraft But all I could say Was they were black They were rather large Some of them Took their time Some of them Really were moving Um, And they were all Heading in that General direction Now as the crow flies um, You know But for a mountain Maybe I could Basically see the place From my house And it was all Pointed there And um, My son's friends Had been up there About that time and someone approached them with um, black uniforms, I believe, in a patch, and they had the, the military black boots on, and they were carrying, I don't know, kind of, gu- I guess you like an AK-47 today, maybe, well, but they Amanda were,
1: 16, probably, you know, yeah.
4: and and um, they I were hope told, they weren't
1: carrying AK-47s. They're probably <laughs> foreigners or well, I don't know what they
4: were carrying, but they, they they described them as old-fashioned machine guns, you know. Yeah. And they they came out of the woods and they told them on no uncertain terms that they had to leave and they weren't trespassing. Mm-hmm. Um, they were on a, they were on adjoining property to the, the farm you're speaking about, and um, dog walkers uh, from that area have been. Approached by the same kind of people and told to leave, um, even they when they were just approaching near that property, um, you know, and, and so it just it grew out of that. And every once in a while, someone will bring it up, or if you ask someone who heard about it, they'll relate to you what what happened to them or somebody they knew. But um, it was just the whole thing with all this this rush of um, helicopters and planes, and and you know they just they were all heading that way and. It wasn't normal aircraft flight. We had the normal, you know, airport flight over at home. I've lived here so many years. I, you know, back in the biplane day. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I I know which routes they take according to the weather. You know, we have a very big skyline here. Yeah. So that that's what happened.
1: Okay. Well, let, let's get Bill on in on this. Bill, what, um, what, what did you find out? Of, I haven't read your book yet. You said that only just your copies came from the printed. I can't wait to see it. But how how far did you go into that part of the case?
0: Um, You you know, as far as I can get, unfortunately, a lot of that land, uh, you know, which is really, you know, you hear Donna speak about this and you think it's some big populated area. I mean, this is just this, I mean, for the listeners, this is just this beautiful farmland, you know? Yeah. Uh, There's really nothing there, of course, but now it's all fenced off. Yeah. um, You know, so I, I assembled what people had said about it, which is, you know, what, what Donna's describing about being kicked out with, uh, uh, you know, people who are armed saying, you know, leave the area, which if you visit the area and there's some photos in the books, it's just ridiculous because, you know, there's nothing there. It's not like you're approaching on even an industrial, uh, you know, site or, or anything. There's just really nothing there but the farm and, uh, farmland well very
1: this is a strange thing uh, w- w- when we were up there in 2010 uh, with a camera crew Ben and I w- were, were watching this place and uh, there was an old farm building between two silos now a year later that farm building was torn down and nobody we, we talked to we have spies all over the place over there that oh. n- nobody seems to see any farming activity going on there. Then no, and there's,
0: there's not, not one. Yeah,
1: and then uh, in, tu- in 2013, all of a sudden, a huge metal sheet appeared between the two silos that you, you could only see from the air, and it looked as though there had been excavation going on around it. Now, it had been smooth, no holes, no basement or anything that you could see, and then you had this, and then finally, the year later, a new farm build- building was built that reminded me of nothing so much as like a Brit- an old English dairy The the design of the barn, but there's still no farming activity that anybody can see and there are vehicles and all this business uh, there and then most recently we have a contact in the intelligence community who um, talked to one of his contacts in the intelligence community about that farm and said and and he was told to back off and we were told to back off so something funny is going on what it is I don't know
0: I mean and that's a lot of years for that plan to not being used for I mean, it, it is. is it is. I mean,
1: that kind of land. If you're paying taxes on it, you want it to produce something, even if even if you rent it to other farmers for haying, which is sometimes the That's case right, in that right. area. You know, yeah, so um, our something theory, something of course, is.
0: Began there,
1: you know. Okay, I'm sorry. Could you? I, I lost you there.
0: No, I was going to say there. There was nothing even uh, fenced off, or nothing was even began there. It was just untouched.
1: Yeah. Well, our theory is, and you know, could be wrong, is that if this multiverse intersect thing is going on, uh, the government, or, ho- or whoever, it might not be the government, would love to harness the power of these intersects, maybe even uh, militarize them. And wouldn't that be nice? Some kind of control of time and space, as you would appear to have if you had some um, access to these, uh, these intersects or parallel dimensions or whatever, whatever you want to call them. And that's why we feel there's such secrecy. And our whole idea is, um, even if uh, you've got UFOs involved, and and even if they are alien in any sense of the word most people understand, uh, people can deal with that, I think, if they are far away. Somebody from some faraway planet is visiting. I don't think we'd have any problem with that. But if we've got multiverse intersects here, and whoever these, these inhabitants may be, or whatever monsters, angels, whatever you want to call them in our puny language, and the idea that they're right next to us all the time in these parallel worlds, I think that people wouldn't be able to deal with. So that's why I think there's so much secrecy in at least some of these cases, and maybe this one. So what do you fellas say? Shane?
3: I'm with you. I mean, I, right. yeah, okay, I can't say any better. <laughs> so i we had
1: you on the show. You agree with <laughs> Yeah, <us.
3: laughs> I, mean, I, I can't say it any better, so yeah, well, uh, I'll just repeat what you, you just all said. All right.
1: So. Okay, well, so Bill, I mean, uh, is that what... People seem to be yeah, experiencing I mean, out there.
0: I mean, I mean, I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, there's there's definitive proof in released documents, uh, you know, from the, the late 40s and 50s and on, you know, relating to, to Roswell. About, I mean, it was all about finding out what it is and, you know, could it be used and is it a threat and, you know, I mean, those are natural questions. And I think those probably would take um, the forefront. Um with how people would react, probably be uh, a second to that. But uh, um, but even without considering how people would handle it, I think uh, the idea of getting behind it uh, just makes sense for advancement and, and well, intellectual property protection. I mean, that's that's a big problem as it is with other countries stealing intellectual property and doing it yeah. cheaper than America. I mean, yes, I I would think that that would be. The main thing, whether it's military or non-military, or probably both.
1: So. Well, I hear the Chinese are already planning to pirate your book and uh, print it on their own <laughs> over there. Uh,
0: but I knew I should have learned Chinese and
1: French. <laughs> <laughs> One of the questions that arises for Ben and I all the time, and Ben might maybe can extrapolate on this, but is the issue of, okay, you have a flap area in Litchfield County, Connecticut, and at Randlesham Forest and in a hundred other places, including not far from here, in the Freetown, or the Hockamock Swamp Management Area in uh, uh, Massachusetts. How far does the flap go? Where do you draw the line between? You know, okay, something over here might be connected with another flap, or might be just independent, or whatever. And everything, or a lot of the things within this uh, sphere that we're talking about, are connected, or maybe uh, it's pretty slippery concept. Bill, so so, how far in your work did you investigate? How what distance did you go from the original? Don is a farmhouse. How far did you go? Five miles, ten miles? Where, where did you quit in your research on this book? It, you
0: know, I, I, I would say as far as uh, any detail, probably about ten miles. But, uh, okay, that's probably wise. I include, and, and then I included kind of a laundry list of, hey, here's other things that are rumored in the area that are kind of outside the scope of doing, because I really felt like I couldn't, couldn't add a lot to them that was definitive. You know, some of them were urban legends. Uh, where it's hard to pin down, um, you know, real credible evidence around. Um, but, you know, them uh you know, just to say, hey, here's things that are kind of in that area. Uh, you know, I think you said it best, Paul, when you said, you know, how do you, you know, the paranormal just doesn't end at a particular point or mile. But uh, I think uh, that, you know, we look at the, the triangle over flap based on, what we see occurring, uh, you know, with a greater frequency. But you know, as you said, hey, yeah, you know, the paranormals everywhere. So you know, how do you draw a triangle around and say this is it? You know? Yeah, yeah, it's but, true. Uh, so I would say that's really you know the the way that we all look at it is you know where does there seem to be areas that are especially.
3: I think the most the, the, the most prominent um, areas have been the ones that we that I, I've been pretty consistent in, in talking about are, are the ones that have rivers and streams nearby. Those seems to be the areas that have uh, you know the strongest um, activity with these flaps and stuff. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, almost every single one. But I mean, I can't I can't think of one area that's consistently active that doesn't have a series of rivers and streams um, channeling through. I mean, I, I can't think of one.
1: When we were there in 2010, uh, and Ben doesn't like to talk about this, but we've, we found what we believe is point three of this triangle, the first one being Donna's house, the second one being the, fo- the mysterious farm, and the third one being a place that Ben kind of identified, because Donna took us along this road. And we kind of, you know, in sort of a military manner, triangulated where it might be. And Ben said, stop, it's down here. And, and we stopped. Yeah, and I, I don't even remember that. Well, you don't remember most of this whole day. No, I don't. What <laughs> that, that's, that's what happens to you. And, that, and we were with this camera crew. We've never been allowed to see the footage, which is very interesting. Hmm. And we um, came to a place, and you do remember the stream, yeah, and the and the stones. Yeah, I do. I remember that. Can you describe yeah. that?
2: Uh, well, um, all right. <laughs> uh, so. Essentially, when we got out of the car, like we were wandering around, the director and the producer were getting exposition and stuff and talking to you about things, and I was like, I'm going to wander over here. So there was um, like a, cer- a circle of stones um, that were like perfectly, perfectly in a circle, and there was a bigger stone in the middle. And I was just like, oh, I might as well rest my hand here, and I did. And then I blacked out after that. And then when I woke up in a, in, face down in mud, uh, there was a tree... That um, it came up, it broke off the two branches and reconnected. So there was like a big hole in the middle of it, and then there was a stream underneath it that did the same thing underneath
1: the tree. Well, was the, yeah, and the stream hmm. split and then yeah. joined again. That's that's what I was trying so to. There, so there's, there's the stream idea. You know, yeah. it was really very interesting. Yeah, it was. And um, we always wanted we ever, before you wrote the book. You wrote the book so fast we didn't have a ch- chance build a sh- or Shane to show you point three. But that'll be for the next book, maybe, right? And the odd thing was that vehicles, like you know, large trucks, were coming and going from a road across, a dirt road across from this, on the other side of the street, and a very rural area, of course, which was supposed to be this summer camp. And here it was in November. Well, those trucks uh, are coming. Someone,
2: someone bought it out like a couple weeks prior. Yeah, and there yeah. were trucks coming in and out of there. And I know you,
1: that. And you, you said they're looking in the wrong place so whatever was going on so I don't know I don't want to get into that at this point we're almost at the end of the show but, um, something, uh, something to consider for the next book there Bill we'll, we'll take the well, two of you out there and the show third, you that I, I do have the third point to detail
0: in here
1: so. okay well you know and Donna too you, you might want to uh, talk a little bit about this in our remaining time one of the issues in this case has been uh, the the effect, uh, apparent effect or possible effect of whatever's going on, to public behavior. Uh, oh, in this yeah, area.
4: it is. It's been, I don't know what's going on with people, and it, I don't see it. I read newspapers all day long. I, hey, I you never invited see me to the party. I, <laughs> I never see these kind of stories anywhere. But um, we'll have a, we'll have a series of people who just drive off the road for no reason. They're not speeding, they're not on their phone. They just drive off the road, go through guardrails, down into swamps.
1: Is marijuana you know, legal in Connecticut?
4: <laughs> I don't think so. Well maybe But no, we have a rat. we'll have a rash of those for like two weeks. Um, other times you'll be someplace and you'll notice that people are just like they, they they're not they're like focused, straight ahead and they don't respond to people. And it'll be like one specific day, like in a grocery store, and all the rest of the week is fine. And these people, they're just they—they like, don't talk. They have kids with them. The kids just just stand right by them and walk with them, and they don't—they don't, you know, they don't acknowledge anybody. And it's like, how can, ev- know what I mean? We uh, lost you there.
1: Could you, could you repeat that?
4: Um, I said a lot of people. Um, yeah, somebody's beeping in my phone. Um, oh. a lot of people, it, and it'll be like a day or two where this happens out of a month, but it's like those two days, it's like you could tell there's something affecting people. And you go to another city or town, they're not like that, but it'll be like one specific thing. You know, they'll have like four accidents on run, one road in two days. Mm-hmm. And it's like It'll be a straight road. And I also want to tell you that um, my husband, I had to go for a test the other day, and he was in the room with a woman who was waiting also. And come to find out, she used to live up, the road from us and I never met her before and she just jumped into this big thing about seeing orbs in her house and all this weird stuff that was going on and you know of course she had left before he did I didn't even get her name but she was telling the same type of thing going on in her house.
1: We could spend the rest of our lives on this case. Shame
4: I know gonna, just, on our, just, just on our road I mean yeah. in our neighborhood <laughs>
3: well, I was going to ask Um, during that time period wasn't there I, I think I saw headlines there was a guy that people said was normally quiet and well liked just randomly started walking down the main streets shooting in the air and stuff like that
4: yes we had we had a, we had a torrent, I don't say it. it it's a very small city and we had um, we had a stabbing we had a, a girl stabbed to death we had a son uh, choke his mother to death um, we had the man shooting randomly uh, we just had a standoff where someone was um, was shooting at the police and he was he appeared to be a normal guy I mean it just seems like it goes in these waves and then things straighten out and everything's quiet and peaceful and then all of a sudden it just it within like a couple of days it just like all hell breaks loose.
1: Now you said there's some sort of new new installation only in the past few months and you went up there with someone and there was a there were all these cables running up a tower and all this business. So it's a place um, we haven't yes, seen yet.
4: That was at a state park. Um we had taken a ride and we went up to the top of this mountain and oh, um yeah, okay. It, it said it said fire service, but they already had a fire service building there. Um, but this one had just an enormous amu- amount of cables. I mean, you know, as thick as a tree, these cables were bound together, and they were running up, and they had multiple. I noticed that another thing, they're adding more and more and more um, antennas to everything, on buildings, on roofs, as and it's we have a very small city, as I said, and we have a dispatch, we have fire dispatch, we have everything we need. Um, they're also they already have them on the police station, they already have them on the fire department. They have everything they need, but yet they keep adding all these these um, antennas. They look like big tubes, um, and there's just like dozens of them on top of like any building that's high enough. And I mean, we have cell service, we have cell tower, we have everything we need here. Mm-hmm. And that's why I can't I couldn't understand when I saw these on top. On top of there it could have been a cell boost or something. Yeah. But I mean, it was an enormous amount of of just black cable, just just you know wired together, and just the tower is huge.
1: Okay, and I I'll, just, I'll have to stop you there. We're just about out of time. But Donna, thanks a million for calling in. We'll, we'll as as always, we'll have you back real soon. And uh, Bill, tell us about the book, when it's coming out, and your website, and when people can uh, can see it and get it.
0: Oh, yeah, it's uh, the official release date is August 17th. I heard from the publishers today that uh, they got the book back hot off the press, so they'll be shipping them uh, to me. Um, you can order a book uh, direct from me. I'd be happy to sign it for you. Um, but you can find all the information as well as uh, other interviews and appearances. Uh, some of which uh, Mr. Eno and, and Ben will be at, uh, which will be the Barnes Noble one, I believe, in Milford, Connecticut. Uh,
1: Milford, Connecticut. And, uh,
0: and that's at uh, com. That's WilliamJHallAuthor.com. You can get all the information as well as some uh, free gifts. Just say you know Paul Eno, and uh,
3: we'll hook you up.
1: Well, that's great.
3: <laughs> Shane, tell <laughs> us about your
1: website and uh, where the people can find out more about you.
3: Uh, TrueGocom. That's uh, T-R-U-E-G-H-O-S-T.com. Uh, it's a, it, we're not a website I'm a researcher it just, it'll give you a brief uh, description about me and, and my service and how to contact me and I'll be more than happy to uh, talk to you
1: great okay now I wanted to mention too that on Friday, August 21st we'll be at, what, at the event Bill just uh, mentioned Barnes & Noble booksellers Milford, Connecticut we'll tell you more about that as the time approaches and uh, on Saturday, Ben, why don't you take that one? Right.
2: So on Saturday, uh, September 5th, we're speaking once again at the Exeter UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire. Our subject is aliens versus, or the alien versus demon, which is which. Uh, the UFO festival is a very fun town-wide event organized by the Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. The other speakers include the great Stanton Friedman, along with Richard Dolan, Kathleen Martin, Bob Schroeder, and Jennifer Stein, who will be our guest next week. And uh, and Bill know, Hall.
1: Uh, are you spe- Exeter or Lemonster? You're speaking of both? Oh, uh, Lemonster.
2: Well, aren't you
1: embarrassed? Well, we're going to get to you in a second. Hold on. <laughs> Behave yourself. <laughs>
2: Just couldn't <laughs> wait, could you? <laughs> so the website is www.exeterufofestival.org uh, for more information.
1: All right. Now on Thursday, September twenty, September 24th, we'll join... Uh, dear old Bill here, uh, for a joint book signing and book event at Hank's Restaurant in Brooklyn, Connecticut at the edge of our listening area here. Hank's has great food. Uh, it's a free event, but not the food. is isn't free. And that'll be at 6.30 p.m. And maybe we can Shanghai Shane for that <laughs> event as well. Shanghai Shane, I like that. Sounds yeah, yeah. like a comic book character.
2: It <laughs> yeah, sounds like, right. a, like Any a of these events, keep really?
1: <laughs> yourself hooked.
2: Okay, so Saturday, October 17th, uh, we will once again be speakers at the Greater New England UFO Conference. This is in City Hall in Leominster, Massachusetts. Uh, We will uh, present a different variation on our subject of the Aliens vs. Demons, which is which. Uh, Other speakers will include uh, some renowned, familiar speakers uh, to our listeners, including Richard Dolan, Peter Robbins, Mark D'Antonio, and... William J. Hall, yes, indeed, uh, whose new book on <laughs> the Litchfield <laughs> County, Connecticut case uh, we're talking about, um, will be released by then. So you can visit www. or http: colon forward slash forward slash Tom dot com uh, forward slash ufo dot html and all those links are at our website and there's also lots of other cool stuff at our website paranormal dot com where you can find nearly 600 free podcasts and past shows from both on 1240 and our four and a half year run on CBS Radio along with special shows and podcasts
1: and I've written a couple of books myself you can find those at Amazon Kindle Barnes and Noble and all those great sh- spots. You can also buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, and that will help us keep all those podcasts free, and I'll be happy to sign them for you. Also, on our websites, you'll find direct links to the charities we mentioned, and uh, there are several new books as well you can find. We have an expanded bookshop, in fact, and um, both books um, uh, from uh, Global Communications, Tim Beckley's Publishing Company, are there as well. So next Monday, August 3rd, we welcome UFO investigator and filmmaker Jennifer Stein for a look at Crop Circles and Sky Mysteries. And uh, we will leave you this evening with a thought from English novelist George Eliot, who actually was a woman. She figured she couldn't get published unless she had a male name, so she called herself George Eliot. Uh, Quote, What do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? Unquote. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben
2: Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time.